Welcome to machine learning. Well, I'm still working on TensorFlow, and uh, one of the things that uh, it uh, you you can have is your okay. You have different activation functions. You have the sigmoid. You have RELU. You have Southmax. And if you're going to have multiple categorical outputs, then you have to, you'll run your hidden layer through a softmax. Uh, your hidden layer can be either RLU or sigmoid, and your input layer can be RLU or sigmoid. And usually where you use sigmoid is in uh, where you want to get a binary output, either like zero or one, that'll give you the sigmoid. Uh, so if it's greater than the threshold point or the inflection point, then it becomes one, otherwise it's zero. Where RLU is looking for the maximum number, or zero or the maximum number. So if it's less than zero, it will be zero. And if, then un, otherwise, find the maximum number and return that. That's RLU. Uh, and so these activation functions are uh, part of the dense network. So you can take one layer, your input layer, and you can feed that into your hidden layer. And you can have another hidden layer that you feed it in and then you have an output layer which can be one or more neurons or nodes and um, you if you use more than one then you'd use softmax otherwise you'd use uh, sigmoid and then once you have that network you can uh, train it and you can train it, uh, the inputs, to uh, achieve a desired output. And so your outputs then would, uh, you had like more than one output, then you'd use softmax. The, and so if you look at a neural net on the, on the simple topology, you have inputs and you have outputs. And then you use your hidden layers to, uh, to identify hidden features. So it'll pick that up. Just like it picks up and can learn any function, it can also learn and associate hidden features that are in the data. And that makes it very effective. Uh, especially on the UFO data, I was noticing that uh, it just from the content the embedded content, it was able to um, correctly <clears throat> identify different shapes. And sometimes it didn't have the word, the shape in, but it had things like an orb. And it thought that that was more spherical than it was egg-like. Even though orbs had been associated with egg-like structures, uh, the neural net 
believed that it was more spherical. And so there's this world of, of uh, complexity as you increase the amount of information that the neural net is learning on that it may change the way we think about classification. So maybe it's more popular to think of a UFO as not an egg-like shape, but a sphere-like shape. And because of there's that, that bias towards spheres over egg, uh, when we refer to a UFO, we might want to refer to it as an egg-like shape. And uh, there's also the, the problem with the UFO data being falsified. You know, there's no, there's a, so what would be interesting is if you train a neural net on uh, descriptions that are true, almost like fraud detection, and then you do k-means clusters on the data and uh, TSNE and see as some of the classifications seem to uh, cluster together in kind of an outlier area, those might be lies. Those might be areas where people are not telling the truth about what they saw. I saw a little green man and he was walking around on the cloud. That's probably not true. And, but if they said, you know, they were driving along and they saw a huge saucer overhead, uh, the size of Texas, that would probably not true either because uh, there's no correlation. So these are kind of like outlier uh, events and they should show up in terms of variance. So we look for these kind of um, statistical events that um, that the system somehow can identify as not being the standard uh, within the standard groupings. And so those 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 might be suspicious. I mean, well, then we might label those as suspicious uh, sightings and then come back and scrutinize it more carefully to see if they really are exaggerated or there's something about the description that is pulling it away from the group. And it's interesting because uh, I was talking to my dental hygienist this morning and she was saying that uh, that they went out and uh, watched the meteorite shower. There was a meteorite shower in, and uh, they went out and watched it together, her and her daughter. And uh, she was asking me if I knew about the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction. And I was like, yes, I do know about that. And that we were planning to... Uh, to go and see it at my daughter's place where she has a telescope. So that's going to be Monday. So if you're interested in astronomy, uh, take a look at Jupiter and Saturn. It's, uh, I think, over about 500 and some years that it's, uh, there's a conjunction there. And um, so you have an alignment of Earth, Jupiter, and Saturn where you don't have anything in between. It's kind of an interesting um, 
piece of of information and it signifies you know an important timing event in the circular motions of the solar system so each of the planets are moving at different speeds and that's why uh, that it uh, if you look at the Mayan calendar it's moving its spokes are moving on a 35 year spoke so each turn of the gear and there's three of them um, the outer gear is every 35 years so what that means is that based on the different speeds of the planets you're going to have different ratios um, so you would have different ratios that would it be in terms of moon cycle in terms of venus 260 day cycle uh, and then earth cycle and the combination of those uh, will allow you to predict when the planets will align so we had one alignment where uh, i think there were seven planets that aligned and now we have the event where two of the big uh, giants saturn and jupiter will align and so it's going to be kind of exciting to see that because that'll be probably in our lifetime will be the only time we see that happen so that's the significance of that astronomical event so if you have a telescope uh, go take a look at that and should be able to see it during around dusk and it should be kind of a fun event to, to witness so uh Going back again to this uh, tensor flow and uh, and uh, tensor inputs, uh, so the, they've given two cases. One was with uh, credit card default, and so what they're trying to do is predict credit card default by the bill amount, bill limit, and payments. So they look at uh, last six months. Uh, look at the amount of uh, debt that they owe look how much they're billing per month and how much they're paying per month and trying to determine whether or not uh, the individual will default so on that six month cycle that would then be if you were if you were uh, inputting just the price that would be six features so that would come in uh, uh, your target would be uh, uh, default and the default would be a binary 0 or 1 and your inputs would be your uh, billables per month for 6 months for 6 features so your first, your first uh, network could be a sigmoid and uh, activation type of sigmoid and uh, it would have a shape of tensor shape of six and it would uh, also have uh, six neurons in its, uh, in its network layer and then uh, your next one, one could be an RLU and it would it could be uh, four neurons and then your final, uh, your final layer could be a um, 
sigmoid because it's a binary output of zero or one, and and that would then then you would uh, do your train test split on your data, and then you would uh, uh, fit your data to the model, should I test the the accuracy, see what the accuracy is on depending on the number of epics, and then uh, use the uh, data feed a, the test back in and make some predictions and, and then plot your predictions. So you could <coughs> you plot your actual price and plot the prediction and see how close it is. Then you could like uh, feed it different patterns and see if, uh, if it really can detect uh, how accurately it can detect uh, individuals that are likely to default based on their spending behavior and their payments. It's probably true that in human nature that if you're don't if you're close to default and you're and you're spending lots of money, that you're probably increasing your billable amounts and decreasing your payment amounts. Um, to the point where you can't make your payment and then you're, you're uh, defaulting on those payments <clears throat> because they're unsecured debt. And, uh, and then, you know, the banks are, are going to uh, try to recover their losses through uh, lo having the collectors try to collect on that debt. So they could take uh, different legal action and stuff to move to collect the debt or they could call you and they could, could uh, ask you to pay a certain amount of money every month but it's interesting because unsecured debt has a liability on that debt meaning that you can lose it all and uh, you, so banks historically have been careful about who they loan money to, that they have a job, they have a way to pay back the money, and they don't have too much debt to equity uh, ratio or debt to income ratio. And that so that they would have enough cash to make their monthly payments. And uh, so those are some factors that uh, I think will play into the credit card. And then we also use linear regression with the Keras network. So we can use TensorFlow to, to uh, do a linear regression. And the way it does that is it uses an optimized function and uh, it's looking at the error ratios on the slope and intercept and adjusting that slope and intercept to reduce down uh, the error, and it, it can use uh, uh, mean absolute square or mean square error or uh, Huber, and they have and Huber punishes the outlier version.